Hi, and welcome back to After an Unscheduled Break, Three Legs, Four Wheels, F1 Podcast. It's Paul here with... Sean. Kieran. Lee. And our special guest joining us tonight is... Craig Scarborough. Welcome back, Craig. It's uh, It's been almost almost 18 months since you were with us last, and I uh, can't, can't really believe it's been that long. Eight? No, it doesn't feel like that long. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. it's only like a couple happened, of minutes of this conversation. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I couldn't. <laughs> There's a sense of deja vu with this, yes. Oh, um, uh, you want professional F1 content? Go somewhere else. <laughs> Well, 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 yeah. So it, it's um, it's been a while and not a while. It's, it's Schrodinger's formula. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were we saying? So yeah, we've had the we've had the new cars. Well, well, can we still call them the new cars? The current regulation cars for about a season and two thirds now. And have they done what um, was expected of them in the first place? Yes, I mean, I think they have. I mean, I think. You could also say there's that no, they haven't because you know there's a team running away with it, and it's all supposed to be about getting everyone closer. But I don't think anyone. Uh, well, eighteen months ago, we didn't expect Red Bull to start running away with things, and the other top teams to make such a mess of the regulations. Two years on the trot, you know, you can forgive one year, but Ferrari was mm-hmm. other teams really struggling year. So, but I think when you then look at the racing that we've had, and again, maybe if you ignore Max racing out ahead of everybody, the racing's been fantastic. Opting the time you tend to see it was at the restarts. I think Silverstone last year was the first time we could really sit and look and say, wow, these cars can get really close at a high-speed track and still overtake. And mm-hmm. I think we've seen lots of that over the past. So, yes, the regulations are what they aimed for. Um it wasn't the the night and day difference that some people were expecting but i think the job's been done um uh, to kick off at least and now the regulations need to kind of you know evolve to keep up with what the teams are doing yeah i mean a lot of people have been saying you know something oh they have to change the rules because you shouldn't have you shouldn't have red bull running away with it um i mean mercedes were the dominant team from the start of the Mm. turbo era and yeah. I, I don't think I recall there was quite as many complaints about um, one team's dominance. I think I think it's possibly just because of Red Bull and the way that they are, and the the way that they're perceived as an organisation. Plus, they've kind of yeah. done it before with the uh, with the whole uh, with the whole Vettel run when they they were you know they were the team to beat and nobody could catch them. Yeah, yeah, I think. You can look back and look at some of the different areas of domination. I mean, you can go back to the Ferrari years, uh, the Red Bull years and Mercedes years. I think those dominance have been because of uh, a very obvious technical uh, advancement or some, you know, maybe less um, or more contentious uh, developments which you could argue are in or out of the rules that allowed someone to get get their sort of step ahead. I think what's interesting, uh, certainly for this year, is the Red Bull car doesn't have uh, a magic bullet. You can't point at something and go, "Well, they're fast because they've got a double diffuser, uh, you know, a, an incredible engine, oil burning, whatever it is you want to say, flexing bodywork and all of that." And I think some people are just a bit sort of, you know. A little bit confused by this, and I think there there is a lot of negativity towards Red Bull generally. 
Um, and it's Max still in the winning, who again has been a contentious figure in F1 for a few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think we expected it, but uh, equally, I don't think any regulations need to change because I don't think Red Bull have done anything that requires a regulation change. I mean, it's not like, as I say, some of those other issues over the years where, you know, some of the people either should not to bend the rules you know, to, to copy some of the technical this this domination we've seen from Red the past two years is just them doing a very, very good job, you know, very consistent. And all of their rivals messing up year after year. Um, you know, it's you know, the, the everyone from Red Bull backwards is in a really interesting tight fight. Um, but they're they're not operating at Rebels level uh with the car. So I, I think we take we don't like it then you know it's kind of unfortunate but you know the regulations are there and i don't see anything that they could change to to equalize the situation that wouldn't potentially uh hinder other teams in some ways does that make it easier for the other teams to catch up in the future if it's not like a specific part that red bull have got got right or you know a, a trick thing which they've found like a loophole in the the rules or something does that make it more more likely that you might get a Mercedes or Ferrari doing a McLaren and taking that massive leap forward? No, if anything, I think it's quite the opposite. Um, there isn't, you know, there is, you know, sticking your gun and fire up the car and suddenly you're super quick. And, you know, again, this, the consistency of Rebel and inconsistent, the, you know, that the lack of performance of their rivals is, simply down to you know, completely understanding to the bouncing and the uh, Red Bull have really got it understood and you know just demonstrated the rivals haven't but having said that you've seen Aston Martin make that big jump over the winter and then you've had McLaren have made the big jump through the season um, you haven't really seen Ferrari and Mercedes have improved their cars. And I think it, now we're at the stage where it probably only be into next year that someone can evolve their car enough and understand the car enough to actually start to challenge Red Bull. I don't see anyone's really going to have, you know, I think we may see another race victory from someone outside of Red Bull before the other season. That's possible. Um, maybe unlikely, but it is possible. Um, so I, I, I think it has been difficult for the teams because you know, you couldn't send Mercedes or Ferrari in the past. They struggle to spend their way out of trouble, and you can't do that in this budget-capped era. And in some respects, that again shows the regulations are doing their job because whenever everyone is now starting to close out, everyone's focused on solutions understanding the error better and i think we will as time starts to go on have a really tight pack that no one can suddenly outdevelop the other teams we've just got to wait for these regulations to settle in a little bit there's a few examples i guess this year of teams who have who have either shot forward or slightly faded backwards last year mm. i can't remember if it was even as far ago as last year it might have been of this year when uh, Toto was saying there isn't a silver bullet, you don't just gain a second overnight or so, or you don't gain it in four or five races. Mm. Um, 
we've seen McLaren be able to gain massively over the early part of this summer. Um, is it is it possible to gain that much time? I, I imagine it is because we've seen McLaren do it. Is it maybe something that teams like Ferrari and Mercedes just don't have the capability right now to do? Whereas if you're slightly further back, you've got more of a blank canvas to fill up and speed up upon. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you really need to kind of be inside the factory and understand what's made up McLaren so much quicker. Um, I think, you know, perhaps if there's a chick bullet, um, maybe, maybe not a silver one, maybe it's just um, brass or something. But <laughs> I think, you know, it's all about it's all about that floor working. And a lot of that is stuff that we physically can't see underneath the car. Some of it is partly to do with the, partly to do with the suspension and, you know, just some some ways of making the airflow under the car that gives you that performance. Mm. And McLaren have come from a long way back and they've made, you know, a couple of big changes and that's really worked for them. Uh, you could argue that Mercedes have made a couple of big changes. Ferrari maybe haven't had the big obvious changes. I know there was the side pod, but that really wasn't, you know, the kind of the performance differentiator for them. Um, so I think there is a chance that potentially any team uh, below Red Bull could find something in their floor that could, you know, elevate them above all of their rivals. Um, that's entirely possible. And it could just simply be, you know, the shape that they've been evolving with the underfloor just really works. Um, I think the difference is, is that in the past, as, as you say, and as I, I mentioned a moment ago, you know, Ferrari, um, Mercedes uh, could just sit in the wind tunnel and throw different shapes at the wind tunnel and at the CFD cluster until they found the one that kind of, you know, hit the sweet spot. You can't do that level of, um, you know, scattergun approach development because you, you, know, you have to pick a few good ideas and see where they go. And mm. for some teams, you know, particularly Mercedes, it, you know, the fact that you have to kind of put your eggs in a basket makes it very hard for you to then, you know, go of the direction um, of development to something else. Uh, McLaren were, you know, really down on their luck over the past couple of years and have found that jump. Um, and I think Ferrari maybe have found something more recently, but I think that's much more to do with tyre development. And Mercedes are, you know, still very much at sea with their, their aerodynamic programme and getting it to match with what's going on track. So, yeah, I think there are teams, or it's just, you know, you'd now get into the stage where you, probably have to make big changes to your philosophy and that that just eats up development. So how long do you think it could be then before we actually see someone challenging Red Bull? Well, I mean I've uh, you know I've I've always been optimistic. I thought teams would be challenging Red Bull by the middle of last year and again at the beginning of this year I thought you know the Ferraris, the Mercedes, McLarens uh, would have uh, found you know that time in the car and they haven't. Um, and I think that's partly because um, they all really messed up their car design, as a lot of other teams did. You know, further back down the field, if you're looking at the the Alpha Towers, the really wrong. Um, so I still feel optimistic that a winter of development now that the teams hopefully have got the, the concepts right, they've got their um, development techniques in the wind tunnel and CFD right, understanding how these cars work so close to the ground. Much, much more uh, intense uh, championship battle next year. Um, and again, that would be if the teams did their jobs properly, 
But there's every chance that, you know, one of those potential rivals could, you know, really screw it up again and, you know, the Giro or the Trot have a bad car that they've had to understand and develop. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to predict, but there's no reason that we shouldn't see a competitive season next year. Oh, definitely going to keep everything crossed with that. Um, you mentioned mm. put, <clears throat> you mentioned putting things in the wind tunnel and throwing throwing a load of shapes into it. I believe that McLaren's new wind tunnel actually came on stream today. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually I, I was under the impression that it had actually been in production for uh, a while and actually doing development in there. Um, uh, so uh, I, I uh, or maybe the work go. Oh, this isn't good, Craig. I Tumble. think we've, 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 oh, we lost you for about Tumble. five. Sorry, we lost you for about five seconds. Then, oh, all right. We've got a big storm here at the moment, so I wouldn't be surprised if I drop out a few times. Oh, I'll just pick up on that one again. Then, um, yeah, it's my understanding that uh, McLaren uh, already had the the new tunnel in production and that they were developing in there. Um, the announcement today suggests that's not the case. Maybe the work that's been going on there has been the work to make sure the new tunnel is given the same results as the new era on track, uh, which is a big piece of work, and it's not something that you can underestimate. And uh, just to make sure that you know, there, this thing that you can have is a tunnel that doesn't give you the right results. Mm. Um, it can give you false good news or it can give you false bad news, but it, it needs to match what happens in reality or, to, you know, as a comparison to your previous tunnels. So it's a huge bit of work. Uh, I think it's a it's a big step for McLaren going to that tunnel. You know, they've been using the Toyota tunnel over in Cologne, which is a fantastic tunnel. And I don't think the advantage that McLaren will have is necessarily that they've got a better tunnel now, but they've got a tunnel within their building that you're not flying a group of people backwards and forwards to clone, you know, every few days. And, you know, that all puts on the work that they do and on their, you know, on their private lives as well, which, you know, it's a big commitment to be uh, working, you know, in another country for whatever the shift pattern is that McLaren have been running. So I think that should be good. Um, it, you know, it will always be a risk when you change tunnels, as I've said, that, it, that your development might struggle. You might have a, a little dip initially um but you know we'll, we'll give them give them the benefit of the doubt i mean I mean, there's every chance that this is is a, a good step for them um particularly with the momentum they've built up this year in understanding what you need to do to the car the car has massively improved so yeah maybe they now need wings that can reel up the rest of the car around what they've learned optimize it and you know come out fighting uh next year but you know, already they've got a pretty into the skin in prospect fighting with you know red bull on red bull's bad days and we race off and leave the rest of them to it hmm. yeah i mean uh the last show that we did and this this is how long a break that we've had um unintentionally um we'd actually said on the next show we were going to discuss the top five teams and how they performed so far this season <laughs> And I, th- I think with having you on the show, Craig, it's pro- probably the ideal time to do it. Um, I mean, obviously, that that was um, it was McLaren in fifth at the time, which I think they still are, but I've got an up-to-date one in front of me. How, just Where have the improvements come from? Because um, from what they had at, at the start of the season to where they are now, um, you know, it, it looks like a completely different team. 
Yeah, I mean, in in every respect, but I think, you know, su- success soon breeds a very different atmosphere in the team. You know, I mean, when you're struggling to get out of Q1, um, uh, you know, I think there's a different atmosphere at the team. I think the thing that they've really done, um, and again, it's, it's a massive uh, oversimplification, is they've got that underfloor working. Um, and again, we haven't really seen um, some of the obvious changes underneath there, and uh, you would probably need to compare with you know cad comparison the old floor or the new floor but they've got that under and part of that is the change in the side pods um you know they've gone very much to this what i think we may describe as the aston martin or the alpine design with a, a very big ridge at the side and then the, you know they're very sharply falling waterfalls that's important um and that really helps get the floor working um yeah, at the next level but it's the work under the floor that's made that big change um, I'd love, I'd love to know more about it. And they've, you know, they've just found that are working. Um, I think then comes, they've got lots of highs at the moment. We've had a, you know, a few very good races uh, over to quite some quite different circuits as well, which bodes well. But you know, there, there's probably lots of other bugs in that car that they they still need to iron out. Um, in order to, you know, really challenge for that, you know, the other podium places at each race or victories, you know, when, when circumstances allow. So, yeah, um, don't don't underestimate, you know, that, that big step that they've made um, because they've come from so far back. I mean, if we were having this conversation, you know, 18 months ago and you compare the McLaren car that was, you know, a, a complete shed of a car and you look at some of the design ideas that they had, you know, you look back now and they seem so wrong. So they've really have to kind of had to swallow their pride. And I don't like to say imitate or copy, but that's effectively, you know, following the philosophies that Red Bull and Aston Martin have, you know, found that work and modifying their car to, 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 to be in a work in a similar way. And, um, as a result, you see, you know, Piastri on front rows and uh, Norris um, getting the second steps on the podium and, you know, really looking quite threatening. Yeah. yeah, we're in a position now where, sorry, but basically McLaren have the driver lineup they probably always wanted, or I say always wanted, probably wanted since Sainz left, which really is only talking about what happened with Ricardo, that they do have mm. one person who is... 100% of the way there, and they've got someone who's 95% of the way there, which is probably the ideal thing for a um, for a team like McLaren, someone who's guaranteed to get a good result every weekend and someone who's, I promise, who is nearly as good as that first driver, so to speak. Yeah, it feels that Norris is a very new and young driver in the sport, mm. but you know he's, he's had a good few years under his belt um, and he's coped with, you know, what has been both a very poor performing car, but also a car, you know, has been very hard to handle. You know, that really was Ricardo's downfall. And even with the updates, it's the car still handles in a very odd way and the drivers have to drive around it, which is showing, you know, Norris's maturity that he has now and Piastri's adaptability equally. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you, you, you wonder if they can really get that car in tune with the drivers or the, the drivers can, you know, no longer feel that they're promoting to uh, get the best out of the car, that there is, you know, another step, particularly with development. I think 
come up with a complete redesign. But uh, yeah, things really are looking quite sweet for McLaren. But we've said this, you know, over all of the years that we've been talking, it's like, you know, McLaren, you know, GP2 engine and a car that, you know, is just awful to suddenly having a car that's looking good. Then the next season, McLaren, perhaps the most important, step that they can put forwards maybe their, their, their thing is to maintain the consistency rather than draw down their hands um you know it's um it's it's a risky sport isn't it where where your, your development over the winter can really lose all of that momentum you found in the previous season yeah i remember uh it's, it's sometime at the beginning of the season when sort of mclaren were and they went to the technical department with a sledgehammer that the uh, there, was, there was people back then saying, but if they sort themselves out, will will there be questions on whether they've made the right decisions with hiring and firing? Um, because mm. essentially, those people that they got rid of are the people that will put the I blocks mean, I, in place to fix the car. Do you think there's a case of that happening? Um, it's interesting because, you know, they got rid of James Key and James Key, um, I've always been a fan of his work. He's always had a very sensible, pragmatic head. And, you know, I think the problems McLaren have been having haven't been structural in terms of, you know, the, the, the technical structure. It was much more to do with the aerodynamics. They got rid of the generalist and promoted the aerodynamicist. And it was like, whoa, is, is that a good idea? Um, uh, but it seems to work. Uh, I still think James Key is, you know, would be still the ideal person there at, at McLaren, but um, instead you've got Pete Prod, um, and it's the aerodynamics that have, have recovered. So something in that change that they've made, it has clearly worked for the uh, the engineering departments. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it would be nice to have been a fly on the wall to understand how that has uh, manifested itself uh, at Woking. Yeah, moving um, moving on a little bit forwards, um, Ferrari, who got to the mid-season in fourth place. Fred Vasseur's first season as team principal um, came into the usual Ferrari shitstorm, basically. I don't, I don't think there's another way you can describe it. Um, no, no, that... that, that. That works. <laughs> you know, it, it's taken it's taken him a little bit of time, but he, he actually seems to be right in the ship, and they they don't seem to be lurching from one crisis to the next. Now, there's a relative period of stability between crises. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think a lot of us have been Fred Vasseur fans historically, uh, and seeing the you know the sort of the careful, diligent work and looking at every area. Uh, I can remember uh, speaking to people. Uh, when he went there and it's like you know, he's making changes and no one seems to understand some of the changes he's making but he's you know he has a, almost like um a pattern that he follows a way of doing things and yeah i mean again if we look at how ferrari were with you know strategy and the car development and the people on board and how the drivers are working with each other uh fred seems to have really settled that shit down doesn't he and while I don't think that that is the most fantastic car that's on the grid, um, you can see that Ferrari's biggest issue was they had a, you know, that the, the, the car has some underlying pace, but that was very much, you know, using its tyres up in qualifying, particularly in, in Charles' hand. Um, 
fall to pieces in the race. Um, and he's corrected that without any obvious technical developments that we can all kind of point fingers at. Now Ferrari are, you know, at least as good as Mercedes on race tyre management. Uh, and that really is, you know, regardless of what deck that they're receiving, they seem to be getting broadly the, the setup of the car about right. Um, and that, you know, doesn't seem to have un, unrubbed any of their qualifying performance, which still is, you know, one of the sort of Ferrari sort of standout things. But, you know, that's very much tyre related rather than car performance related. And yeah, you know, again, Ferrari is just only, only ever needed a good manager. You know, they've got, you know, if you down and write out a perfect team, the setup that Ferrari have, you know, with the, the money, the facilities, you know, it's, it's, it's all there to steer that ship. Fred Vassar at this point, as you know, many people have been in the past, the right person to deal with it. And again, it makes you then think, well, what's the next steps for them? Um, you know, car development direction is very wrong for Ferrari. There's just lots that's not good with you know, that fundamental car design. And they've said that they will throw that away and start again over the winter. The, you know, the sporting management of the team and the strategy and stuff, while not perfect, we've seen some you know, absolute disasters from Ferrari. Uh, particularly in the wet a few races ago um but that's getting better you know tire management is being understood and yeah they're doing it i think one of ferrari's biggest issues is bubbling up between the drivers um you know mm -hmm. there was animal between leclerc and, and science as they joined the two camps i think rub were worried about how it would shake out and i think we've seen you know both drivers trying to assert themselves at different point in different races and different situations um i think i think that is something that we really need to keep an eye on as the season closes out and as we go into next year as well particularly ferrari are much more competitive because you know charles has that expectation that he is the main man there i think carlos is um at least as consistent only as much as uh, Charles is inconsistent the Ferrari is inconsistent um but when, when Carlos is fired up and we've seen that over the past few races you know and I remember um the first time I ever really noticed Carlos as a driver was when he was had been partnered with, with Max Max got the Red Bull drive and I remember seeing the the focus that Carlos had that weekend and it was like wow it's like a different driver totally different mindset if he can maintain that mindset, then he can bring the fight fight to Charles on a regular basis, and you know that that only leads to fireworks. You know, two two good drivers in a team is, you know, good and bad. Um, and I think you know, hopefully, Fred's the person to manage that situation. Mm. You can see the uh, driver issue starting to bubble up in Mercedes as well, can't you? For just exactly the same reason. Yes, exactly. Um, and again, you know, there's. <laughs> It's one of those things, uh, you know, as fans, we all want to see the drivers fighting with each other. And if you see there's a de facto number one or someone that's getting favoured in some way or another, uh, us fans tend to think of that as a very negative thing. Um, but it wins drivers' championships. Um, it may impact, um, you know, the, the constructors' championship. But, you know, a, a steady ship makes for a happy ship and uh, and results. And yeah, certainly you're seeing 
um, a lot of needle between um, Lewis and George at the moment. And it's quite interesting because, again, you know, the fan base is very much skewed from, you know, recent history to, towards Lewis. And, you know, some of the stuff that's going on track, uh, you know, they're both getting blamed for it. But, you know, again, I think you can't let that fester. Um, you've got to have some control. At the end of the day, Formula One is a team game. You know, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the team. It's not just about one driver and another driver when they're on track. You know, you've got responsibility for a lot of people, and um, you can't just kind of shrug and go, "Well, you know, we're going to let them fight." You know, you you're a manager, manage people, manage the situation. Um, and I think you know, Ferrari and Mercedes really do have that situation that needs to get under control. Um, before you have cars crashing into each other and sending each other off the circuit um, when you've got, you know, victories or podiums potentially mm. out there. And we've seen both teams, you know, very close to the edge on both of those um, issues. If you're Ferrari or Mercedes, at what point do you give up and, well, <laughs> what point do you just give up and <laughs> sell second-hand cars for a living? Let's try it again. At what point do you... Uh, <laughs> At what point do you go, okay, we, we're going to be second this year, we're going to be third this year, they won't catch us, we won't catch them, let's look forward to 2024 and put the majority of your workforce onto the next year. How long does that take? Um, it's it's one of those things, you know, there, there will be, even since the beginning of this year, probably even through last year, people working on long-term R&D development that's already led, you know, leading up to the next 2024 season. Yeah. Um, In-season development, well, that, you know, historically, that's always been a bit tricky because it's, you know, it's not been restricted by budget. So, you know, you could keep throwing developments at the car. And because the regulations from this year to next year and potentially the year after are going to be so stable, you can start using next year's development um, uh, for, you know, early and that starts to shape your car, you know, in, in this year as well, and vice versa. You can be using if you've got budget left over this year to be doing stuff that's going to help you next year because it's you know the, the money's siloed. The wind tunnel development, the CFD development, is all siloed on a per year basis. So you know you state what you're developing. And uh, again, you know, it's a tricky question, and I don't think it's as black and white as the press always make out. It's like you know there'll always be someone that goes, "Oh, X team have now." solely developing into next season's car yeah that's it never happens like that there's always development ongoing on the current car um and it's you know it's a shades of gray between one and the other um and you know i think we've probably have seen most of the teams now have probably signed off the last developments for this year's cars and which means that you know weeks maybe even months ago they were then then turning to focus on to next year's car so it's a kind of a sliding scale um but i don't think anyone really is working super hard on on this year's car anymore you know we've got Haas are about to have a big update um but that was probably signed off back at monza or something like that mm -hmm. you know and the the development of it is switched you know was ended back then and then the people that were doing that development would now be working in the in the ferrari tunnel you know, looking at, at next year's car Cause, I mean, we, we saw we saw previously with Haas when uh, what was it the twenty twenty one car they said there was going to be no development on that <clears throat> right through the season. Um, yeah. 
yeah, l- look what that look what that started as, and look look what it became. You know, it actually man- mm. managed to get worse. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, it, yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah. Also, Karen, you said when do you give up and start selling second-hand cars? Derek Warwick is doing really well out of his garage in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> My grandparents bought a car from Jack Brabham, Worcester Park, Surrey. I don't, I don't think it's the same Jack Brabham, but it could well be if he sells Vauxhalls in license over here. Possibly, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, you know, you know, the person who used to run Formula One was a second-hand uh, car salesman. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if any of us would choose to buy a, a second-hand car from uh, Mr. Eccleston. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, I think it, that that kind of way, always used to go with the old way of doing things. You just you know, bringing money in and using the name, wasn't it? Yeah. I guess this goes slightly off piece a bit. But do you know much about this Bernie Eccleston uh, documentary series, which seems to pop up on Discovery? Yeah, I, I I've seen nothing of it. Um, Mm. Now, with the majority of these documentaries, there's been a few, hasn't there? You know, you had you know, maybe kicked off with the Senna one, but you've had a Max Mosley one and various other uh, sort of ones. Mm. And it's always been, you know, signed off by the family uh, or by the person. And if Ber- <laughs> if Bernie's had any degree of you know, direct directorial control over that, then I think you need to go and watch that with an open mind. Uh, <laughs> and, and a few large think, inches of salt. <laughs> well, I think that, yeah, what I've always loved with Bernie is, yeah, he has his, he will speak the way he sees the situation, but equally he will do things just to wind people up and just uh, kind of throw a curveball in there. Um, and he, you know, lots of people fall for it every time and if you're on top of that it's quite funny um, i remember he interviewed maybe in sky or someone at, at silverstone one year uh, when there was some question about you know the contract you know for the, the host in the british grand prix was in question and and bernie goes no we're not coming we're not coming back to the british grand prix there's lots of other places we can go and of course he's winding people up he's throwing that out there to you know distract from the, the true situation <laughs> so if you know that it's quite funny when he does do it, and then you can watch everyone's chasing their tails around and you know thinking that what he said is is honest and upfront. But that's Bernie, and he's still <laughs> pulling the strings today. Don't 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 ever misunderstand that. You know this is still Bernie's sport. Mm. I thought that I thought there was there was <clears throat> going to be some involvement from him somewhere. Yeah, you know, on the on the rare occasions when he turns up on the grid wearing wearing the shirt with the old F one logo. Of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's, that's one of the ultimate bits of crawling. Yeah, he's, he's a mischievous person. <laughs> yes, exactly. Love that's, a, that's a very diplomatic yeah, way of describing that. And that's the best way to describe him because he's obviously got very good lawyers. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll move, we'll, we'll move swift, swiftly on up the um, up the constructors' championship. Um, the team that was quick out of the box that surprised us all, Aston Martin. Yes, and again, kind of goes back to the points we were making earlier. If you get the concept right and get the car working the way you want it to, um, uh, it works. And the Aston Martin, perhaps in some respects, maybe even more so than the Red Bull, even though it's a a slight derivative of the Red Bull concept, um, is, you know, the cookie-cutter shape for a a modern F1 car to get it to work. Um, And when you see how well they did in those early races, and then you see the development that, you know, people like um, 
uh, McLaren, um, Mercedes, to a, a smaller extent Ferrari, have copied some of those ideas and concepts, have kind of, you know, taken, you know, that brass bullet that, that um, Aston Martin had and have overtaken them. And Aston Martin haven't developed that car beyond the big step that they made, probably because the gains, once you've got that shape of car and that concept of car, are, are harder to find and they're smaller gains that you're finding at the same time. So their challenge has been somewhat stunted. But, you know, beginning of the season, I mean, when they got it right, well, they really did get it right, didn't they? I mean, it, it helps that all the other teams have got two drivers. but. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean, again, that's that is it's always going to be the uh, the um, Lawrence Stroll Aston Martin issue. You know, is this a team that you're running to get your son a drive, um, or you know, do you want a serious stab at this? Because if they, you know, if you think if they'd had two very strong cars at the beginning of the season, the constructors' championship would be looking very different now because they would have got double the points that they have, or you yeah. know. No. Uh, a, a, a considerable larger portion than they have now and could be freewheeling their way uh, towards the end of the season, you know, shifting that development a bit earlier. But now, um, you know, they, they've already lost out to rivals, um, which is unusual because, you know, historically the Force India team have been a team that have kind of come on through the year and now Aston Martin make a big step over the winter, but don't, you know, make the gains that um, you would have expected them to. Is it always going to be no. difficult when you take someone else's concept, like what we've seen this year, and then having to try and develop it when it's not your own idea? Does that always make it a bit, a bit trickier? Um, yes. I mean, I think um, it, it does depend on the people involved, um, you know. But I think what you find... There's, there's a lot less opinion involved in developing a car. Um, it's all, you know, everything's run by metrics. Someone just doesn't come in to the design office, big meeting and go, I think we need to have, you know, this, this shape of something or another. Um, what you do is, you know, various people will have different ideas and they will put some figures behind them. They will test them and say, you know, this shape side pod gives us, you know, so much more lap time, so many more points of downfall, so many less points of drag or what have you. So I don't think there is so much of that there. And because these, you know, the, the development teams, in, you know, number in the hundreds, you know, 500, 600 people, um, there isn't that steering so much from, you know, someone new coming in. Um, I think there will be, you know, obviously there are changes and there are, you know, ideas and directions that get put forwards. But I don't think that is necessarily the stumbling block that some people might have considered that it was, you know, maybe even just 10 years ago. How much, how, uh, I'm going back a question, I guess, here, um, because I just thought, may as well slander Lance Stroll a bit more. Um, <laughs> how important do you think it is to a team's outlook when you come to 24, 25, 26, um, when the big lump of carbon in the middle of a car isn't as good as the bloke who's 17 years older than him. Are, are you, I, are, what, when does the crossover point happen between, I know he's the son of a boss and he's still an F1 driver at the end of the day. He's one of the 20 best, but when does the crossover point happen between he's worth it and he's not worth it? We need to bring in Drukovic, Holkenberg, whoever. 
Oh, I wish I, I wish I knew. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I don't know, I don't know why I expected an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think we, we, we often find that, you know, there there are some teams, you know, the, the, the Red Bull teams, um, that are very quick to throw a driver out. Um, there are other teams that maybe hang on to drivers for too long. Um, you know, particularly if they are a, a, what you may regard as a second driver. Um, you know, um I, I won't mention names, but um, yeah, yeah, you think, I mean, oh, yeah. so-and-so has been re-signed again. Uh, it's yeah. like, wow. Or someone who's new has been re-signed or is more likely to be re-signed for the next year. And you think, are they worth the extra de- development? Are they worth the extra investment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some, um, some teams keep you, a driver again, on for two. As fans, see lot, lots of these drivers out there. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad I, I don't have to choose drivers because I will probably be a lot more cutthroat um, I'd probably be maybe not as aggressive as, as Red Bull. Um, but if I was the sporting manager, I, I certainly wouldn't be as uh, relaxed as um, maybe Williams uh, would be or Ferrari can be sometimes, you know, in retaining that second driver. So the problem for Aston Martin is, you know, you've got Alonso, who is, you know, we have to say he's close to retirement. <laughs> We've said it a number of times. <laughs> you, you should. <laughs> is he? But, you know, there is, there is, you know, he's probably about as, as uh, closer than I am. Um, and then you've got the problem because it's the, yeah, the boss's son um, in there. So, you know, what, what, what do you do? Um, who are the people that are going to fill one or two of those gaps? Um, so it's, it is tricky. Um, and they obviously there's new management uh, or a change of management uh, at uh, Aston Martin. Um, for better or worse, I think some of those changes may be worth for the better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really sticky situation that they find themselves in. That potentially they could be looking for two drivers and looking for you know some continuity as you reach twenty twenty six, when you really need to have some stability there to cope with a, a very different season of cars. It must have quite a big impact on their development through the season as well when they're getting. Um two very set, different sets of data back from their drivers. Some and none. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, again, it's funny, I, I was having a conversation earlier this week about that very subject, about how much do they develop the car around the driver sort of question. And um, nowadays, again, going going back to those those metrics and those you know results in um, simulation and everything, the, it, the, the driver isn't the big influencer that they used to be. And again, people level with this, you know, uh, uh, criticism at, at Red Bull, you know, the car's developed around Max. The car the car is developed to be as quick as it possibly can be um, around a lap. Um, and the drivers can tweak it a little bit to make it more to their um, their liking. But actually, the, the effect of that is that they're making the car slower. So, mm. you know, ignore what the driver's asking you for um, to a point, obviously, um, but the teams are out there to make the fastest car, and that has got no driver influence on it whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that's that's a big question for them. But I think you do need to have stability in a driver lineup um, going forward, or else you know you do you know there's more to it than just making the car fast. It's about you know the whole shape of the team and the motivation of the team. And some drivers are better at that than others. And um, suddenly ditching someone that's popular is is has a, a bigger impact on the team as a whole than you know changing the shape of front wing end plate or something. 
You just know, though, that um, whoever gets Lance in the um, Aston Martin Secret Santa is going to buy him a tennis racket. (laughs) 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 I've got nothing further to add to that, actually. What I was was going to say is, yes, um, some teams do hang on to the drivers too long, especially if they're a former race winner from Finland, mentioning no names. Indeed, yes. That was one of the ones I was trying to avoid saying because I know how popular they are. (laughs) Poor JJ Leto. (laughs) Um, Right, next up is second place Mercedes. Now, it's a slightly better car than last year. Um... Yeah, I I think think we're we're talking in relative terms here, aren't we? Um, Yeah, I mean, Mercedes really went away over the winter and made the same mistakes they made the winter before or the years before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the car concept is is wrong. Their data they're getting out of the wind tunnel is wrong. Maybe even something in their technical structure of the team uh, is wrong. You know, they're not making the right decisions and they're not learning, Um, you know, and... That is very much what brought them uh, into the middle part of this year. You know, again, trying to catch up with with errors from the winter. And um, in fairness to them, they've done an absolutely solid job of getting that car to work. They know what they're good at. And, you know, the car isn't doesn't have the level of performance that they want, but they know that they will give up qualifying to get a great race car. And they end up, you know, with their, I mean, it's not so much how, how good their tyre degradation is, it's how well they manage the tyres to control that degradation. And they've outraced Ferrari consistently um, through the first, well, only really up until the last few races, uh, you know, outraced Ferrari uh, on tyre management alone in a car that I feel is a slower car overall than, than the Ferrari is. So they know their strengths. Um, and they're working on what their failures are, which is very much, you know, the aerodynamic concept and the aerodynamic testing uh, methodology that they've been using. And, you know, the only way that they know that will work is when we see how fast the car is when they redevelop it over the winter, because there's a limit to how much you can change with the budget that you've got. Um, they've changed their technical structure um, with James Allison very much coming sort of back front and centre. And... I don't think that is necessarily him directing the shape of the car development, but James is very big on methodology um, and you know, getting the, the work that the engineers do and then looking at those numbers that come out of that and then making the right decision based on those numbers. Um, and I think that he he's done a very good job in that respect. And he's just one of those very much a good leader of the team. Um, you know, we... You know, we're all impressed when you see him talking on his YouTube clips on their race team briefs. He's just, you know, he's completely across his brief and uh, it's impressive. But, you know, it's a huge team. And, yeah, uh, I think they've they've done. I thought they would have recovered quicker this year. I mean, I, uh, I when I was speaking pre-season, I thought that the, you know, the car could be a race winner. I thought it would be you know, pushing Red Bull by mid-season, but it's taken a lot more time for them to actually recover the performance in that car. And, you know, I think now it's kind of reached that stalemate where there's a limit to what more they can put into it and get performance out without focusing on to next year. So I think that's what they've done. 
I think the car that we'll see next year will look very different, um, you know, in all sorts of shapes and sizes to um, the car that we've um, seen in certainly the first half of, of this year. And um, I think there's a few other just there's just odd things about that 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 Mercedes. It comes on so strong at the end of a race, um, and uh, but you know on the same tyres, but with heavy fuel tanks, the car is you know looks a real handful. And I know some of that is tyre management, but I, you do wonder if there's something in that car design. Um, and I'm starting. I, I sort of pointed my finger at their fuel tank all year because you know the size zero side pods don't come without a penalty. The penalty is that that fuel tank is squeezed like, um, you know, a uh, uh, stress toy in your hand. If you squeeze the bottom half, it's going to come you know, squirting out the top of your hand. I think that car's centre of gravity and the fuel, the fuel tank being held so high in the car is a real issue for them. And again, they being able to soften up their uh, size zero concept may actually help with the with the chassis and that weird layout that Lewis made so much noise about, you know, sitting too far forwards in the car, which again is a, a byproduct of the weird fuel tank shape that they've got to race. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, there is every reason that Mercedes can recover uh, over the winter to be you know, dominant next year. There's no reason they, they couldn't find that if they get the whole concept right, because they're so close with a really bad concept of car. Um, and again, yeah, a big risk factor is that is that they make the same mistakes, the same downfalls that they've made for the past two seasons. And, uh, you know, I can't predict that, but I, I would say the risk of it happening a third season would be quite low, I would hope. And, you know, they'll be out there pressuring the teams into next year. Yeah, but if it, do, if it does happen for the third time, then you've, you've got to think there is something just inherently wrong with the whole structure of the team and, you know, what what is going on around them. I mean, yes, you know, uh, heads heads will inevitably roll in a very um, polite and political way. Um, uh, whether that is on the sporting and or the technical side, um, you don't know. But it, you know, these are the they're very much the same people that everyone was lauding just a few years ago that they made the perfect team. Yeah, how much uh, do you think? Um, um, and, sorry, and it just goes to show that you know F one is cyclical. Yeah. How much do you think a loss someone like James Bowles is to that sort of dressing room? Um, that's an interesting question. I've really thought about the. I've thought about the effect that he would have on Williams, but maybe not the the, the reverse way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think James is very much one of the people that have been kind of. Maybe he hasn't been shaped by it, but he's very much one of those people that is in the Mercedes, you know, upper management mold. Um, you know, you could put him next to uh, James Allison and maybe not, maybe not Toto so much, but, you know, the people that run that team and they're, you know, they're all, you know, very similar sorts of people. So, um, yeah, I think he will be um, his, his, his loss would be felt in as much that, you know, I, I, can't, I don't even know who's actually come directly replaced him, but um, you know he is very much part of the furniture there. When there's a different bit of furniture, even if it's ever so slightly diff different looking uh, armchair to what you had before, it will have an effect. But you know, Mercedes is a massive engineering operation, so losing James Vowles with with Toto's um, you know blessing, because um, Williams are very much kind of on that radar, aren't they? The I don't think his impact will be felt. Um, you know, um, I think. Maybe we could go back to the, you know, the driver situation and you don't have that person that 
everyone will trust their word and say, George, this is James uh, coming over the radio in a way that may have happened in the past. I can't think of any particular uh, situations. We're going back to finish drivers again, aren't we? Um, yeah. um, I, I think, yeah, I think they've got you know strength and depth, but you know maybe the, that that person, that character that can come over the radio hasn't hasn't picked up again um, since since his departure but you know, maybe we'll see more of that yeah well um listen out for him uh, giving his opinions to um to logan Sargent for the rest of the season <laughs> he's very good on tv yes. it's he's remarkably i don't know what it is about him he's just a brilliant interesting not maybe the, the most charismatic but just a really interesting broad head mind mm. he really articulates it really well unlike me <laughs> <laughs> somehow a radio presenter but he he's very he's just he's got all the right words he says them just confirm to everyone Kieran yours is mainly a music based show isn't it it is yeah very little me on my show yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as, as as I say, he's very much one of those Mercedes people. And, you know, again, if you think of the, the engine guys as well, they're, you know, this isn't unique to Mercedes. It isn't unique to the, the management. Whenever you speak to uh, these professionals, engineers that work in Formula One now, admittedly, some of them are more um, less able to communicate verbally what they want, but a lot of them really do. And when you speak to them, about their specialism, they're able to just kind of come across with this stream of consciousness of engineering talk, which is both insightful but understandable without being mm. too technical. Um, and it gives you that kind of real confidence, doesn't it? You know, if, as I say, if James comes on the radio and says, this is the strategy that's going to work, then you're going to believe him. Um, if it's, um, you know, maybe one of their rivals teams come on when you're saying no i don't want the wets and they go well we'll come back to you <laughs> it's like what's going on with the strategy well where are my tires when i come into the pit stop why are you putting me on wets when the sun's just come out all that sort of stuff yeah you know that that is a, a way that a lot of the teams work but i think you would say that mercedes across the board have probably got more people in that mold than than uh, uh most other teams mm. Men- mentioning no names, but uh, let's let's try Plan Q and see if that works. <laughs> um, well, that leaves us with um, one more team for our half-season review, and that is the team who have been pretty much faultless when it comes to designing the fastest car and putting the fastest driver in it. Williams. I mean, Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> Um, have have they got it is car wise? Have they got anything wrong, or have they just sort of pulled the perfect car out of? Doesn't work in Singapore though. Except for Singapore, and I, um, I have been uh, I have been asked to ask um, a friend of mine. Carl said, "For God's sake, whatever you do, ask Garbs. Why didn't the Red Bull work in Singapore?" Yeah, I mean, I think you can discuss their season as a whole without Singapore. Um, and yeah, it's just you know glowing praise in every respect. I think we'll come back to Singapore, but you know they've 
they developed the car last year, which was really pretty good. It was a bit tricky at times. Um, they've evolved it. And, you know, for the 99.9% or probably be, what, 22 out of 23 races at the end of the year, yeah, that car has been utterly consistent in Max's hands. You know, it's fast in quality, maybe not the fastest. So when people start to talk about dominance, I always think about how far ahead in quality are they? How far ahead in the races are they? And, you know, it's not the fact that that car is so much blindingly quicker than everyone else or else, you know, you wouldn't be getting other people getting pole positions. You know, you mm. wouldn't be, you know, getting those 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 sort of tussles in the first stint of the race. Um, but it is just enough that's just that bit better than everyone else's that they can control the race. And when you can control qualifying and the race to a large degree, then there's lots of things you can start to do with the car. This has always been one of the reasons you start to get that kind of snowballing effect that, you know, you've got pole, you can, you know, play about the south of the car. And, you know, Ferrari uh, used to do it. Mercedes used to do it. Red Bull did it in their previous era. And again, in this one, it's just one of those advantages. I think the, the thing that we find is that, yeah, Max in his driving, and that car in his hands performs at pretty much every track, you know, with the asterisks that we'll come to. Um, and we haven't seen Max, apart from I think it was one of the qualifying sessions earlier in the season when he had a technical issue. You know, it's always kind of there. We haven't seen that se session where he's gone and had a big crash or, you know, the gearbox has fallen apart or the car, yeah, uh, more or less isn't quite as good at this sort of track than it is at others with the asterisks again, as we'll come to on Singapore. And it's just super, super consistent. And that is something we don't normally see, even in, you know, the years of the Mercedes dominance, you always had, you know, a few races where other teams would come in and win um, because, you know, they either, the driver was inconsistent, had a problem or, you know, reliability or the car just didn't work. So yeah, it's fantastic. And I cannot point at that car and say, that's the reason why. Equally, I can't point at that car and say, well, what the hell is Perez doing in there? Um, because that is, you know, apart from Singapore, it's the other fly in the ointment. It's like, why isn't that second car performing? Because when you look at, you know, even Ferrari's dominant years, you would have Barrichello, Massa, you know, uh, Irvine winning races through the year. You would have, you know, Daniel Ricciardo or whoever else, you know, uh, Valtteri Bottas and, Nico Rosberg even claiming championships over what you would maybe describe as the lead driver. Um, but you haven't had that really this year, early this season. And I think certainly one of them was that race. And I can't remember what it is. And maybe one of you can remind me there where Max had a, a, an issue in qualifying and could have kind of come, maybe gone through and won the race, but Perez was maybe too far off the road. Was it Baku, perhaps? Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, it's fantastic, which kind of then brings you to, well, Singapore, what the hell happened there? Um, and there's, there's a number of things, um, and none of them really add up to the big change in performance that we saw. Now I can tell you one thing that it wasn't, it wasn't the flexi wings technical directive. It's got nothing to do with that. I mean, you wouldn't see that difference at Singapore anyway, certainly when you then saw the performance at Suzuka, which is an aero track, you know, uh, out qualified, out raced everyone, you know, by, by whole seconds and 30 seconds. And that. so the main thing was uh, they arrived at Singapore. I think they were trying to protect the rear tyres, knowing that they have some issues with traction at times. So I think they went there with a setup and a downforce level. And through free practice, it just wasn't working. Um, 
and they then started to play about with the car and i think they just lost a bit of direction now i think they actually made more of a recovery than it appeared so if you think about that first stint um max on the hard tire coming past everybody things were shaping up to be really good when he got his tire stopped but on the hards when everyone then pitted um under the uh, was it safety car i think it was mm. Uh, Max couldn't. It would, you know, it would throw his strategy completely out. So he had to stay out. He effectively lost the advantage of um, that hard tire by not being able to pick what he wanted to. Um, and you know, eventually, you know, what could have been a potential podium-winning recovery uh, was lost by, you know, mid-race strategy that was out of their control. So I think it looked worse than it actually was. Um, and I can see no reason, looking at the, the circuits that we've got coming up for the rest of the year, that that situation would, would arise again. But, you know, so often Singapore has been, you know, the downfall of, you know, Lewis so many times. But equally, you know, he's, years he's bounced back and has, you know, dominated there. So mm. I think Singapore is an odd track in many ways. Um, I just, you know, caught Red Bull out maybe more than um, they expected. And, you know circumstances in the race which are always out of your control when safety cars get pulled and stuff so yeah it's just one of those things well some teams can control when the safety car comes out there but we won't go into that one <laughs> mm. <laughs> i know a lawyer <laughs> so say, isn't there like an ongoing legal thing with that at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I didn't mention any names whatsoever <laughs> Um, right, so we had um, some other big news today, aside from the uh, McLaren wind tunnel, is that the FIA have accepted Andretti's entry um, as a Formula One team. But mm. in true Formula One style, it's down to F1, whether they actually get in or not. Um, what What kind of process is this where the lunatics run the asylum? That's Formula One. Um, There there are so many people with a vested interest in how the entire sport is run from, you know, sponsors, partners, technical partners to the teams. um, And they have a far bigger say, I have to say, than than they really need to have. You know, it'd be like football teams voting um, to get rid of the offside rule and stuff. It's just madness for any um, liverpool fans that are listening to this right now um they are on the verge of suing the premier league because they had a goal disallowed at the weekend all oh, right okay yeah so yeah i mean var i mean you know it would, it would never work in formula one would it um yeah it's yeah, the, the the process is as as um transparent and opaque at different stages as all of the parties want it to be um and none of us really can make any sense out of it you know it's not it's not a procedure and a process that has you know a series of tick boxes it's very much um you know whims of various people along the way that make this decide you know decide it because it's about adding value to formula one and you know what what team will bring something to formula one that other teams haven't now of course you've got to think of this in some respects in context of teams that have come into formula one in the past um that have you know simply not been up to the job and you know even the 2010 team 
intake that we had you know some of them didn't even make it to uh to the first uh, to even building a, a complete car and some of them didn't last a few seasons and then going back to the old days of andrea moda and various um <laughs> people attempting to build a formula one car without the budget and the necessary uh, backing but that's the background nowadays what what must you have to be a formula one team well you know again Formula One has lots of these kind of unspoken rules and ways we do things. You know, there's there's there has never been a rule that Formula must be, you know, open wheel, must be, you know, open cockpit, must be, you know, look a car looks like this. Some of it is kind of like unspoken, you know, instinctive ways of doing things. And I think a new team nowadays is falling very much into that. It's like, well, you know, Andretti has got a fantastic, you know, uh, heritage as a, as a uh, uh, a family name in Formula One in motorsport, but it's not Honda. It's not a prestige car manufacturer. It's not a big, big brand of something worldwide. Um, and a lot of people outside of motorsport probably never heard of Andretti. Um, you know, maybe, maybe in the seventies, it was one of those names that sounded, you know, Mario Andretti sounded like a racing driver name, you know, sort of the, you know, the, the sort of the ridiculous play on words, isn't it? But, um, I think the issue now is what you know, you know, what backing have they got? You've got Cadillac kind of dipping their toe in a little bit, and they kind of only dip their toe in after that. You know, Andretti found that the water was a lot colder than they expected. So I think you know the issue maybe is you know how big are Andretti and what do they bring into the sport? And that's that's how I see the situation, not how how I personally feel. I think they would make a fantastic entry to Formula One, um, and will they? They won't they? I, oh God, I I couldn't predict that. Um, looking at the you know the technical ability of some of the other teams and the financial backing of some of the other potential entrants um, with um, you know uh, high tech, um, I can never pronounce it because I never stopped to look at it. Lick sings or something. Um, uh, and, oh, that, we and, we, and th we think we think mm. it's shorthand for Lucky Sons. Lucky sons. Is it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, again, I've never really sort of stopped to read it and think how to pronounce it because I didn't think I'd never need to do it. But um, <laughs> yeah, they seem to have a huge amount of money. High tech have got the technical ability. Um, I don't really know too much about the Andretti entrance now. I know that they have, they've hired some very good people uh, from Formula One. Um, I don't want to mention names because I don't know how much of that is in the public domain. There was talk about them using... It was actually described as Renault, but it's obviously that's the Alpine uh, technical partnership. So that would potentially be their engine and gearbox, you know, something like that. Um, and I don't know where they would run their operation. Now, I know the people that I believe are working for them are based in Banbury, uh, which is kind of, you know, Motorsport Valley uh, here in the UK. Um, and there's obviously something their American operation. I'm sure that they would leverage as well, but I don't really know that how that would work. So I think that may equally be part of the decision process. It's like you know, American team running for America is that a good idea? Is it not? I don't know. Um, and yeah, it's touch and go whether they will get in. Um, I hope they do. I think we could do with more teams on the grid. Um, I don't know if there is a perfect number. Twenty-two sounds better than twenty. 24 sounds, yeah, if they're all good teams, sounds great. Um, 26 sounds like too many, and I wouldn't want to go back to pre-qualifying. <laughs> if anyone listening to this could ever remember that, it seems like so long so long ago. We didn't even, obviously it wasn't even on the telly back those days. We just used to read about it in Autosport, you know, a week later. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the decision, I think, 
if they choose not, if Formula One decides not to have Andretti in, I think there will be another big outcry about, you know, where is the transparency of this decision-making process and how the sport runs itself, which I was kind of hoping that we were starting to get away from in the Liberty era. But, you know, it still works there, as we all know. Um, and that just kind of, you know, uh, opaqueness in doing things and inconsistency in doing things. So let's, let's see how it pans out. So, I mean, with, with Liberty, obviously, being an American company, um, we've now got three races in the U.S., You'd think they'd want more American representation on there, and nothing says American racing more than Andretti. And yeah, you know, no, that, that you know, is but, true. But but then again, how many times with how many times related to anything in Formula One, you have to use the words? Well, you'd think. <laughs> yes, or I just simply can't answer why they've said that um, or done that. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's. It is still part of the F1 DNA to have this strange way of doing things. Um, yes, you're right. An American entrant would look very good. Um, you know, they've worked very hard to try and get, you know, American names um, and drivers into the sport. And I think that's still something that they're working on. Um, and, you know, Vegas, which is coming up, is, you know, you can see Liberty are very much kind of trying to find Vegas as the hub of formula one they want that to be you know um more than just a, a race they want that to be they want a you know a campus at, at vegas that has formula one stuff going on you know offices people working marketing um you know do, doing stuff for the public um uh, there you know have like an, an f1 museum or an exhibit there that you know suddenly becomes you know an attraction in itself uh, and yeah, you would have thought an American team would have would have fitted in. Maybe Andretti don't fit into that marketing image that they want. Maybe they would want to have, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of, I don't know, American culture and stuff, but, you know, the Nike team, you know, something like that, you know, the Google team. You know, I think they were looking for that level of presence mm. um, rather than Andretti with, you know, Cadillac putting a badge on here and there, and maybe that's what they're after. And yeah, yeah I, we don't see anyone coming forwards, you know, offering, you know, the Tesla F1 team or something. You know, there just isn't that people going forwards at the moment. And I think that maybe is what their frustration is at Liberty uh, in making these decisions. Talking of talking of Vegas, we um, we were offered the opportunity to um, record the Las Vegas Grand Prix re- uh, review show at a studio. Um, in the city. Unfor- <laughs> unfortunately, they wouldn't pay for our Grand Prix tickets and airfare and accommodation, so we've had to pass on it. All right. <laughs> yes. This is yeah, the first time hearing of this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've been saving this for this show. Yeah, that email's from about two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I think I'm about yeah. 200 um, grand in the uh, hole already. That'll be an expensive, that'll be an expensive trip. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it'd cost more for me and Sean because we've got the extra flight to get to anywhere that we can get to Vegas from. <laughs> As it, they're none direct from the Isle of Man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, you might get Mallorca direct, and that's about it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's only when the pilot takes a wrong turn and he's meant to be going to Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, always, there's always hijacking. You know, it's not <laughs> <laughs> Historically... Not the first option. 
Or it's it's Vegas. You could maybe just pay for the one way trip out there, and, and then try, gamble. Try and win it back. What money you've got left? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, I'll put my uh, put my leave request into work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so we have the return of the Qatar Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Um, now, apparently, mm. they've resurfaced the entire track, changed quite a few curbs, and um, the corners point in the same direction. But other than that, everything else appears to be new and different. And it's going to be different cars running on there. Than, uh, than we saw mm. in 2021. Um, it's more or less a new start for the race. What should what should we look out for and what should we expect apart from the complete unexpected? Um, well, uh, I think the thing the thing is that I think the teams will have a, a grasp on the, the the circuit and the setup already. You know that that's a big chunk of that is known to them. Even though some of the corners have changed, you know, they've kind of got a feel for where they'll be at. It's the surface, I think, is going to be the the big question uh, because again, you're going from dusk to uh, nighttime, um, and it's going to be really hot in those early sessions. Um, and the work you're doing on the tires with a fresh circuit that is both a new surface and an unraced surface that's going to be green as well as being black and sticky. Um, it's going to be really tricky. And I think you're going to have to just see how the race... I think people that do well Friday morning aren't necessarily going to be people that are going to be getting pole position. Um, and that therefore means that someone may get the tyres worked out far better than anybody else. Um, you know, there's in terms of layout, there's no reason to think that the status quo that we've had for the past few races won't you know, remain the same, that you know, Red Bull should be the fastest car out there. I think we can kind of say that, but you know, you're maybe drifting a bit into Singapore territory. Although I don't think the track, in terms of its nature, is as slow and uh, rear limited as, as Singapore is. Um, and yeah, then you know, it's going to be who gets it right between you know Ferrari, um, Mercedes, McLaren, maybe um, Aston Martin. There, if the tyres are working for them, something they're very good at doing. Um, yeah, so I think it could be just one of those weekends where it's you know it's it's going to be a slow burn um, and just seeing how people get on and as that race develops and they're finding that the you know their start tires are working either better or worse than their predictions were and how you react to that and how good you are at reacting to that I think it's going to be um, it's going to be a bit a bit you know maybe before Las Vegas is going to be a game of poker just to see mm-hmm. see what cards everyone's holding and um, that therefore then should shape up to be an exciting enter the race which we tend to get more often than not under these new regulations which is somewhat surprising maybe not what they aimed for but it certainly has, has made the, the races worth staying up for yeah do you, do you think with it being a sprint weekend that's gonna that's gonna alter things a lot because obviously they're only going to get one practice session before the launch straight into qualifying actually yeah i forgot it was a sprint yeah um yeah i mean again it's 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 eating up time um and I, I, I wonder how much people are going to focus on the sprint in terms of setup. I think everyone's going to probably would throw a set of soft tyres on, obviously, but I think they will be very much, you know, thinking about what are the, what is the surface doing, uh, how can we predict that on, you know, the uh, the harder range of tyres. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tricky job for, to work the run plans out for this weekend. 
Yeah. How does how does the whole Park Ferme thing work over the sprint weekends? Because um, <laughs> I know the current the current rule for a normal race is as soon as you head out in Q one, that's it. That's it. You're locked down. But obviously, with a sprint race, you head out for Q one. You do qualifying, then you run everything again the following day, and you have a race, as well as an extra qualifying session. So- I've got to say, I've not really read the rules in detail, but it's my understanding that effectively Park Ferme will be in place from um, the start of the sprint, uh, or maybe even from qualify- the sprint qualifying, um, because there will, when you see the FIA Park Ferme changes to the cars, that has actually gone back to um, uh, the sprint. So it, you've effectively got a double, double Park Ferme on a sprint weekend I, I i'm i'm open to being um corrected on that but that's my understanding um there are obviously a slightly more uh, concessions um for that but uh for the teams um but really you know with these cars you know the, the teams can't really change the spec or the setup of the car from the start of sprint and they probably wouldn't want to um you know, that's just the way that the cars get set up nowadays. The teams have got so locked into that way of thinking. It's just the way they'll do it. Yeah, it would it would be unfortunate if they discovered something in the sprint where um, a change could have been made to make them faster, but then they have to just live with it for uh, for Sunday as well. <laughs> yeah, but then that, with modern F1, that doesn't tend to crop up uh, the way that it would used to. Um, um, and if you know something substantial has changed in the, the, the weekend, then the FA will obviously give them dispensation to change like cooler levels or you know, bits and pieces like that. I mean, 20, 25 years ago, they'd have brought a separate sprint car anyway. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and a sprint engine, yeah. um, and a sprint qualifying car, and a sprint qualifying engine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah the, the way they were able to just to blow money in the old days, now you go look back and think, well, that was madness. Um, but you know that that's how they race. I mean, I do miss the spare car. I always thought that was a kind of a cool thing. But um, yeah, um, I probably wouldn't go out on a limb to try and get that many long life cars that they've got. It seems to work with the the teams, you know, and does add a bit of jeopardy to the weekend, which I think always shakes things up. Well, I mean, William suffered that um, last time out when they mm. rebuilt too much. Of um, Logan's car. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, did they know he was going to stick it in a wall and had it mostly prepared just to be on the safe side? Same I'm not that. answering that question online, but yeah. I'll ask you that. I think we all know the answer to that. Yeah, I'll ask you that one after we finish recording. Mind <laughs> you, I think for Perez as well in Japan, they could have given him a spare car and he'd probably still managed to trash that one as well the day he was having. Just hit everything. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. could have, he could have um, fallen down a well leaving the track at Suzuka <laughs> for his luck on Sunday. Didn't Latifi do that last year? I know. I think he just got lost. What, left left <laughs> yeah. the circuit and came back. <laughs> yeah. Did he? Did he turn into a chicane that wasn't there? He did. Yeah. He did. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's when everyone realised he's finished. 
It's a, this is sort of a side tangent because I heard I listened to a podcast earlier on this week or last week rather because it's only the start of this week um, about replacing Logan Sargent. And are, are we in a position where we actually are going to replace Logan Sargent or can we come to a point where we go, eh, give him another season? At what point do we look at Logan Sargent and go, who else is about? Well, clearly, Liam is it too soon? I think, this, <laughs> yeah. I think this is one of the unmentioned names from the earlier conversation, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I think he was brought in too soon. Yeah, uh, without enough experience and with a difficult car uh, for the first half of the year. Again, Williams is one of those two who did make a big step with their car, uh, as they did last year, oddly as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think that he is um, ready for a second season. Um, I think he's going to have a difficult second season because they, they typically are for any driver um, and will probably benefit more from going doing something else for a year and have another crack at it. Um, as we've seen, it's been successful for so many sort of mm. drivers over the years. So, yeah, I mean, I think Williams, you know, they do have that potential in that car. I mean, it's a pretty good race car they've got now. You know, I mean, there's been lots of issues um you know racing mainly mainly red bulls it seems um with with mm. with the uh, with the car there um that i think that they would do far better to have another person in that second car getting the job done uh, who that is whether it be a rookie another rookie or you know someone maybe with a bit more experience as well but yeah i i yeah, i feel for logan but i again i think he was just dealt a really difficult hand um, and I think sometimes you just kind of, you know, need to, to go bust and come back for the next hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, it's all actually Otmar Schaffner's fault. <laughs> <laughs> right. A lot there was, uh, a lot just, of- just quickly, there was an interesting thing. Um, Sam Bird was saying on, a, I think it was the BBC podcast about um, Logan Sargent. And he was saying he was speaking to people within Williams that were adamant that the difference in lap time was almost exactly the same as what they expect the difference between the two cars would have been because obviously Albon is, is given preferential treatment when it comes to the upgrades that it's come, that's come along. And uh, he was adamant that inside Williams, they, they want to give him another year because they believe the pace difference is car related hmm. yeah i mean we have heard this from the team as well um in a few interviews that i've, I've seen across the internet um I, I i think that is a little bit maybe smoke and mirrors playing mm. with the data to, to to give you something to back up what you're doing um in terms of just you know you can you can see that he's struggling. I don't want to say that he's not up to the job because you know mm. that's I'm not in to sort of say that. And it's not my skill anyway. You recognise that in driver. The the offs he's had lately look like someone that's overdriving. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly that qualifying mm. um, uh, shunt um, and just losing it during the races as well. Yeah, yeah, it, he's in a difficult. As I say, it's a difficult situation he's in, uh, and uh, you know you just, you've got yourself and you know the team need to maybe just recognise where they're at with this and, you know, are we just expecting too much from an inexperienced driver Um, and will we be better off, you know, investing elsewhere or investing in him somewhere while we, you know, get a stopgap in or something. 
Um, yeah, because I think he was, I think he was picked as the driver at fairly kind of short notice and without maybe the rigor that sometimes would be applied to choosing a, a second driver. But um, yeah, uh, from my point of view, there's more to it than just pure lap time, mm-hmm. um, and that's just everything that you know F1 demands of a driver, as well as just you know getting those sector times. And uh, you know, he's sadly, you know, he's, he's falling down on that. Do you think it puts extra pressure on, given how good the like, the crop of rookies we've had lately have been? You know, the, when you look at like when mm-hmm. George came in, um, Lando, um, Oscar Piastri, Albon, I, 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 I know he had a harsh time in um, Red mm-hmm. Red Bull at first. I still believe there's like a, a world championship fighting driver in that guy, um, I, and it almost looked like for a second, especially with like Piastri coming in. It almost looked like, oh, it's it's easy finding this young Formula One driver. You just reach into the into the junior categories, plug them in, and they're instantly a Formula One driver. Uh, it it seems like it might be a, t- a tough axe to follow. Hmm. For, for every yeah, I mean, for every right Piastri, there's a Mazepin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we have had some, you know, some some great talent come into the sport, and again, which makes me really sort of slightly wound up about retaining older or um drivers that are struggling for longer than perhaps you need to um and again i'm i'm not a great judge of drivers that's, again that's not really what I, I tend to spend my time looking at but i i will notice when a driver does something good where they're driving above their car or the situation that they're in and you know i think we've seen like liam lawson do that mm. Uh, when uh, Nando, not Nando, it's the other one, Lando joined, uh, you know, you saw those immediate flashes of of, um, performance. And you you could argue even, you know, um, Zunoda in in those first few races, you think, wow, this is this, you know, the Japanese driver that's going to crack it. And he kind of went off the the cliff a little bit and it seems to have kind of recovered from that now. Um, But I've not seen that with Sargent. Um, and we've had you know plenty of wet sessions, plenty of you know tricky races where he could have kind of come through, and hasn't. And for me, when the drivers don't show that opportunity, particularly someone you know at the back of the grid, in like you know, sadly, typically a Williams sort of driver, um, if they don't show the performance and that their skill and their moments, then I tend to think, well, it, you know, is it there at all, or are they just a kind of a good, you know, dogged driver that's just going to kind of get you know get the job done at the end of each race um mm. and uh, i think maybe sergeant might fall into that more than you know, some of the other you know, young and up-and-coming drivers or the recent rookies uh, it's gonna be gonna be one to watch for um the rest of the season and see where it goes because obviously there, you know there are young up-and-coming drivers available it's, it's whether williams want to take the risk after years of latifi <laughs> That's, that's, well, you know, they, they can sign him for another year and say that up front to everyone but you know at the end of the day a contract is there to be broken and if they <laughs> want to get rid of him because he crashes in the last three races or maybe even a contract might take you know the monk of his back and let him relax a bit more and you know uh start performing the car mm. um but yeah there's you know not, nothing nothing is certain and you know if he crashes at race one next year it could you know, equally be out very rapidly and um there's no shortage of people with 
the skill and the budget to, to come in and replace him. Yeah, that, is, that is true. Going going back to things that um, actually make the drivers go fast, I've got another question from uh, Baz, one of our Dutch listeners. Um he says he'd like to know your thoughts on the 2026 engine regulations. He's not like not liking a lot of what he's hearing about it so far. What do we know so yeah, far again, about 2026? Those... Just for the, just for the uninitiated. Right. Okay. So there's a, there's a whole batch of changes. Um, so let's take the engine you have got now. You've got a 1.6 liter injected turbo engine. Um, that with the hybrid system gives you a thousand horsepower and that thousand horsepower will be available pretty much for every potential lap that you would do. Um, uh, you'd have that thousand horsepower available when you need to use it uh, through a race. So that's pretty cool. I and mean, it's pretty impressive. And these these engines last, you know, handfuls of races. 2026, you're going to keep the 1.6 liter turbo engine uh, with the direct injection and with the turbocharger. Uh, but it's going to run on different fuel. It's going to run on biofuel, which is slightly different to um, sort of ethanol fuel, to e-fuels. Um, and this basically means that you know, we're not consuming um, hydrocarbons, oil, to fuel the cars. So it's all made completely from um, you know, uh, sustainable uh, sources, which is fantastic. Um, it's not doesn't give you as much power as petrol does uh, or kerosene or um, you know, gasoline, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, so, But at the same time, they're also going to reduce the amount of fuel that you can squirt into the car. So now the combustion engine is only going to give you maybe five, 600 horsepower. So the rest of the horsepower is going to come from the hybrid system, which at the moment is capped at just 160 horsepower. So if you think they've got 1,000 horsepower, then theoretically 840 of it, slightly more nowadays, comes from the petrol engine, 160 comes from the hybrid system. So they're going to ramp up the hybrid system to give you that missing 500 horsepower, uh, which means you've got a much bigger motor, you'll have a much bigger battery. Um, but they're then getting rid of the MGUH, which is the electric motor that's attached to the turbocharger, which has been so difficult for teams to develop and quite tricky for teams to work. Rival struggled. Honda oh yeah, was the, the obvious account how to use time out, but all of the behind. Um, but then they're going to do loads of other changes. So you're going to struggle to be able to regenerate enough energy from the rear axle as you're braking. So you're actually going to be using um, the petrol engine on the straights to charge the battery. So it's a bit like the dynamo on your old bicycle. You kind of click it on and you can feel you haven't to push against it. So you're actually going to be able to burn an amount of fuel each lap to actually run the engine and charge the battery on the straight, which I think is a bit of an odd one when you used to have something you could do with that for free uh, with no petrol. Um, and then to try and make it um, a, a balanced ballpark and to reduce cost, parts of the engine are going to be spec or tightly restricted. So unfortunately, it means the engines will still keep the same horsepower, but they will be heavier. And um, the fuel tank, the fuel load will be reduced um, by quite a few tons of kilos. Um, and there's just some of the decisions make sense. And some of the decisions make no sense. So I know the MGUH was taken out because it was thought to be an obstacle for Audi joining the sport, which is the kind of the common paddock consensus. 
Equally, being able to have a, a hybrid motor on the or a hybrid generator on the front wheels was a great idea because you do most your braking on the front wheels, actually recovering energy there meant you could have tons of electric power available you know, all the way around the lap. Been fantastic. But Audi coming in have been racing for decades, well, maybe not decades, but you know, a decade and a bit, with a front hybrid system in uh, endurance racing. So they F1 team so we don't we're not we're not having Audi advantage, even though we've given up an advantage. Um, so there's lots of things that are fighting against each other, um, and I I can understand lots of what they're wanting to do, and then there's lots of it I don't understand, quite frankly. Um, from a fan point of view, the good thing is that you're still going to have superpowers, uh, and will probably start the race about the same effective weight of the fuel tank and the power unit as you do now so i don't think there'll be much of a during audi uh coming into the sport which i think is you know obviously a great thing for formula one hmm. um but yeah i think you're kind of what you're taking with one hand you're um you know giving away with the other that's the same with the chassis regulations I mean, I assume there's going to have to be new chassis regulations to um, to deal with the new weight distribution around the cars. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole heap of regulation changes. Again, it's all you know, if the efficiency of the car uh, is is going to be a big factor. So the cars will be uh, a bit shorter, not as short as I think they should be. Um, but again, the teams are kind of putting their oar in, and uh, we may only get them 20 centimetres shorter. I think the FA tries to go for 30, but we're being pushed back. Personally, I think they should be looking more like 50 or 60, um, and that's entirely possible. Uh, the cars will have less downforce. They will have... Um, drag is going to be a tricky one because um, you've got... Uh, the cars will be shorter and slightly narrower, which is put worse for drag. Um but equally, you're going to have active aerodynamics. So the rear wing, the front wing, the brake ducts, the cooling ducts will all be able to be moved. We're not quite sure how uh, through a lap so that on the straight, for example, you're, even without DRS, your wings could flatten off, your cooling ducts could close up and you can't be much more efficient. You're burning far less fuel on the straights than you need to, just dragging these wings needlessly along the straight. But then they'll sort of pop out as you reach the braking zone, which I think is actually could be potentially a really cool thing to look at uh, but again we're not quite sure how it's all going to shake out um it probably won't come down by much if at all which again is one of the other big sticking points for a lot um, and the cars probably the power on balance probably that weight um yeah it's all kind of swings around about um concept um, will be you know part of the gist of the of the relation so again we should encourage see cars in to like past year you, you're breaking up badly again craig <laughs> oh am i okay do you want me to pick up on that or do you want me to you're going to just chop that um no, i should i should I be able we to, got the gist yeah should be able to get something out of that yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> now that is um that is a great that is great. That is a really good insight into um what to expect in F one in times to come. Um hopefully we'll still be around to uh, cover it. And we'll try we'll try and do weekly shows again. 
Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to try and do an extra one after the sprint this Saturday night. I've just landed that on oh, every, no. just landed that on everyone now. <laughs> Do you not have a gig on Saturday? I thought you had a gig on no, Saturday. No, no, we um we cancelled it ah. because I, I didn't want to do another gig the night before we go on holiday because the last Fair. time I did it I didn't realise at the time I had pneumonia, <laughs> so I, I didn't want to chance it again. I only found out when I was halfway up a mountain. So um, no, we don't don't have a gig, so we'll be doing uh, we'll hopefully be doing a show after the um, after the sprint at the weekend. Is that because I don't know? We might have a world champion on Saturday. There is a chance. That's true. Yeah. There is a chance we could have a, a yeah. I was going to say a new world champion, a repeat world champion. <laughs> a four-time world champion. Three. I'm giving him 2020 just to see how that goes down on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I think the words cold, <laughs> sick, and bucket. <laughs> I, was, I was going for the three-peat. Yeah, well, the three-peat is good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to try, try and get a show done after the, um, after the sprint. And next week's race review podcast will... Um, it'll be a little bit different. Because it all depends on what the Wi-Fi is like in the hotel that we're staying in. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm at a wedding on Sunday, um, so yeah, I, I might be mainly grunts and moans on Monday night. <laughs> well, we'll um, we'll be on a plane when the race is on, so we're just going to have to make do with the highlights. Ooh. Of which I am sure there will be many. Um, thank you once again, Craig, for joining us. It's always great when you come on, and we definitely won't leave it another eighteen months next time. Yeah, let's try not to. <laughs> no, it's always good to come on. Tell you what, let's say it now. Let's um, let's go for one at the end of the season. Yeah, let's get that one in. Yeah, yes. definitely. Yeah, we'll get uh, we'll get something for the end of the season. Obviously, if you want to get in touch, uh, we've got the website threelegsportwheels.com. You can put your predictions in for the Qatar Sprint, the Qatar Grand Prix, and I've also opened the predictions for the USA Sprint and the USA Grand Prix as well because uh, I'm damned if I'm working on a website too much while I'm. Uh, Lounging by the pool, having cocktails brought to me. Yes, it's that kind of holiday. Um, if you want to get in touch by email, it's threelegsporewheels at gmail.com and we're at threelegsporewheels on all the socials and individually on, are we calling it Twitter, X? On my I, show, I, I call it Elon Chat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Lee, you are a fervent musketeer. He's all right. <laughs> oh, I've not heard of Musketeer before. That's quite, that's quite good. Yeah, Lee's now changing his name to D'Artagnan. <laughs> but if you want to get get in touch with us on that individually, we are at Sean Cowper, at Kieran is boring, at the Lee Stevens. I am at Pablo One Hundred. Chris is at Flood Twenty One. He will be back soon. He's recording some special um, special inserts for us. As well. And Scarbs, how can people get hold of you on Twitter X? Uh, well, on all platforms, I'm at Scarbs Tech. Um, you'll find me um, doing for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're on threads at Three Legs Ball Wheels as well, but I'll have to check because I barely use the app. Um, right, we'll be back at the, at the weekend. It sounds odd saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, enjoy the race and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.